Well, here we are again, <clears throat> Danny. Hello, sir. Good How to see are you? you? I'm well. This is, uh, I think this is St. Patrick's Day, actually, when we're recording this episode. Oh, St. Yeah, Patrick's Day 2021. That is correct. So, uh, which I is Kennedy Fayok's birthday today? It is Kennedy Fayok's birthday. Yeah, happy birthday. Birthday I, shout out to Kennedy Fayok. I believe it is Billy and Heather Worrell's anniversary today. As oh, well. I could be wrong about that, but I think that's true. Nice. Congratulations. So, yeah. You know, good things are happening. Mm-hmm. St. Patrick's Day to me, I'm going to get, if we have any Irish listeners, they're going to get mad at me. To me, the most worthless of all holidays. Like, really? Why? Why do we do this? <laughs> Why do we make a big deal about St. Patrick's Day? I don't get it, but I only, as a typical American mutt, I only have a couple percentages of Irish blood in me, so anyway. I have somewhat of a red beard, but I don't think it's Irish. Yeah, I don't think so either, Dan. No, that came from no. somewhere else. Yeah, <laughs> Portugal. There you go. There you go. Well, we are here in Classroom 3 slash Studio whatever. Still looking for a title for this podcast. Someday there will be a, a blurb on the front of this welcoming you into the title of our podcast, but we're a little title blocked at the moment. So we're just going to keep talking. We are both, ca- well, well, I started to say we're both caffeinating today. We're both drinking coffee today. Well, there's caffeine in my system. It's just not what I'm <laughs> drinking right now. Uh, Danny, has, Danny, you are forcing me to reconsider our partnership here now that you're drinking decaf in the middle of the day, so. Forgive me, brother. Forgive me. It's funny because I stopped at Dunkin' Donuts for coffee, and I I had a wave of nostalgia. Um, Number one, I have not had sugar in my coffee since Christmas. I've just been trying to cut out some sugar, and so I drink a fair amount of coffee, and so that's... That adds up. So, and I miss it every time I have a cup of coffee. I miss. I think <laughs> this is awesome. It would be a little better with some sugar, but I have this thing. Dunkin' coffee to me has to have sugar in it. It's not any good. So I got sugar in my coffee. But then I remembered the good old days of the Dunkin' Donuts styrofoam cups, oh, which yes. have gone by the wayside. Yes. So now we're down to, to paper. So I haven't had this as long. My coffee is already almost cold, which drives me nuts. I like my coffee super hot. <laughs> I can I, I can remember I probably shouldn't mention this because, well, what are the chances that any of our the elders of our church are going to listen to this podcast? Probably not very good, right? Uh, I don't know. I could, might be surprised. Uh, I would. I'd be surprised. <laughs> uh, I can remember like coming to elder meetings and thinking, well, I want some. It's an evening meeting. I should get some coffee. How long could this meeting be? Oh, it's an elder meeting. It could be four hours. I'm going to Dunkin' because they have the styrofoam cups. It'll keep my coffee hot. (laughs) So now it would be like, well, I have to do something else for those long elder meetings. (laughs) Anyway, probably in trouble now. So we've been talking about apologetics using the book Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. This is our, we think it'll probably be our fourth or fifth episode. I don't know. You'll know. Until you're listening to them, they'll have all been recorded. And uh, we do want to continue to encourage you, if you have not taken the chance to grab this book and read it. Yeah, good, very really good, good book. We were just talking off offline about just the way he turns a phrase and the way that he puts things that really make you think. And it's a rare gift for somebody yeah. to have that yeah. talent. So. Somewhat of a wordsmith. 
A wordsmith. <laughs> a wordsmith. <laughs> He's British, though, so it'd probably be a wordsmith. <laughs> a wordsmith. Yes. Wordsmith. I think that probably is. Yeah. is you can do it with your British accent. You can I, do that. Which I can't. I, you know you're making fun of me because I can't <laughs> do accents. I cannot do accents. I sound ridiculous. And because I grew up in central Pennsylvania, this is why I don't have an accent. Oh, right. People right. from here don't yeah. have accents. No, it's not existent. That's so, right. So Only are, anybody outside of that. Oh, yes. <laughs> outside of like the four or five county area. Right. Lancaster, Cumberland, Dauphin. They have accents. No, no, no. They're, they're still within that central Pennsylvania, no accent. York York people have accents. York okay. people are different. Right. I wonder if we have any York listeners either. <laughs> That's across the river. That's across the river. That's right. That's right. If you're Irish and from York County, yeah, thank you for tuning in. Sorry we won't ever hear from you again. It's me. It's not Danny. So we uh, we ended the last podcast talking about chapters one through three of book two. Uh-huh. And we sort of came to the end of that point talking about how God sends Jesus. Uh, he's a man, but he's talking like he's God. And Lewis famously presents this as a dilemma for us. Either this guy Jesus is a liar, he's a lunatic, or he's a Lord. And so... We're going to proceed with chapter four today. <clears throat> Excuse me, chapters four and five. Finish this book today, uh, and we're going to proceed as though Jesus is not a liar or a lunatic. You okay with that? I'm totally fine with that. Okay. Yeah. Just a spoiler alert: <laughs> we don't think he's a liar or a lunatic. Not at all. We think he's Lord, although that's a lot easier to say than to, you know, make that happen in your life. Mm. So the question then becomes: you know, what is Je- what did Jesus come to do? What did Jesus come to do? What's his purpose? Um, and I, I like how Lewis puts that, um, that he came to put us right with God. Yeah, so it was more than teaching. He didn't just come to give us knowledge, uh, give us new teaching, and that's it. Um, there was a lot more involved in, in the coming of Christ. Right? And so he came to put us right with God. Yeah, which is... Uh, you know, that's as we the deeper we get into this, the more it, we are reinf- the idea is reinforced that only a very specific kind of person with a very particular set of qualifications or skills, as uh, as we would describe to Liam Neeson in the, the Taken movies, a particular set of skills, <laughs> uh, only a certain kind of person could do what Jesus came to do. Right. So, <clears throat> excuse me. So uh, he, he did mention there, you know, as he talked about what he came to do, I was struck by how this idea of putting us right with God, uh, he talks about it as a formula, which on my copy, our, our books are different. Um, my copy was in page 44, which he basically says Christ was killed for us, his death washed away our sins, and by dying he disabled death. And that struck me as a great... Restatement of First Corinthians fifteen. Yeah. In that passage, it talks about the the essence of what the gospel is. This is the core of it. There's right. other stuff to talk about, but this is what Jesus came to do, and we see that throughout Scripture. I think First Corinthians fifteen maybe is the place where it's summarized the clear the clearest. We see it acted out in the gospels. So. So, um, what do you think, Danny, about? Um, if I could find my place. Danny, where's my place? This a couple is a miles nice. from here. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do 
your place is not my place. I know that much. <laughs> Two different places. That's true. You're closer. Your place is closer than uh, my place. Yeah. <laughs> this is good that I have all these papers scattered around and I couldn't figure out which one I was supposed to be looking at. So Lewis talks about a common explanation for how that works, us being put right with God. And, um, you know, what, what is that explanation, essentially? Yeah, so basically he's saying, you know, Christ came to bear our punishment, right? Um, well, when you think of it that way, it's like, okay, well, that's, why would you send someone else to, to pay the price for something uh, or, or, you know, be punished for something that he didn't do? Um, but, you know, he, he offers this idea of, like, don't, don't think of it that way. Think of it as a debt owed, as a debt to be paid. And in a sense, that's what Christ has done. We owed God a debt, and Christ has come to pay that debt. And and so, so we we oftentimes talk, and I've done this in classes and probably in the pulpit, talk about it as Christ fulfilling our sentence. Mm-hmm. And Lewis's point is that that's a little uncomfortable. That idea that somebody else does the crime, but God says, well, I'm going to make somebody else do the jail term or whatever. And so his, his point is that debt analogy makes more sense. Yeah. Uh, it sounds more, I don't know if I want to use the word reasonable, but it might be a better analogy because that's more what Jesus did. Yeah. We, can, we can relate to that better. Right. Somebody stepping in and paying off a debt that we couldn't pay. Right. Okay. Well, um, the theories, he, he talks about how the theories really are not um, are not necessarily what we need to worry about. I'm getting ahead of myself. I feel like uh, I'm not talking well today, Danny. We have to do some editing in this one for the first time. Uh, that's okay. We have we to actually go back editing. and cut out whole chunks of this, <laughs> which up till now I haven't felt the need to do. But I keep looking in the wrong place in my notes. So, uh, so back to... So when he talks about the difference of punishment versus debt, he makes the point that we're not exactly we're not exactly sure how this all works. Not all Christian groups necessarily agree with how all that works, and so right. different groups might explain it in different ways. But he makes an analogy here to food. Do you want to explain how he puts it here, the idea of nourishment and eating? Yeah, so, I mean, basically in the book he's saying, you know, uh, you don't necessarily need to know how food nourishes your body for you to enjoy a meal to know that it's doing something in your body right um and so uh you don't know how to, you don't have to know how how you know about all the vitamins and and how it affects your cells and all this stuff you don't need to know all that scientific stuff I don't, uh, do you think they even knew about antioxidants back then in the uh, 1940s? I doubt it. Yeah, they were eating their blueberries <laughs> back right. then because you know, the, but they knew that a, you know, a blueberry was good when you ate yeah. it, and they knew, you know, you know that when you eat chicken, it feels good. You you eat, you know, whatever food you eat, you know that it does something good to your body. It fills you up. It gives you strength, um, and so he 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 talks about it in that in that form. Um. And so the details of the theories, his, his point is the details of all these theories about how this works are not really the important thing. Uh, and, and even he takes it further, and he does this a lot with analogies. He'll, he's very good about coming up with an illustration or an analogy, but 
almost always when it gets to the end, he says, there are limitations to this. Mm-hmm. No, you can't explain certain things about the nature of God or whatever perfectly. Yeah. It's, it's a, we're trying to get closer to it. And I think he sort of says this here. There's no theory that can really explain how Jesus accomplished his, his mission. Right. Uh, we accept it as true or we don't. Yeah. Um, but he does argue, it's interesting, he argues that we're not really going to have a clue about about how what Jesus has done works until we have accepted that he has actually done it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think of it, you sort of like take, it, you take the plunge. You've sort of got to dive in before you start to realize, you know, this idea of him paying our debt. How does it, how does it affect us? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I guess that's something I was interested in talking about a little bit. How, how does Jesus paying off our debt in the, in the sin sense how does it affect us after we accept that it's true? Once we accept that Jesus has done this for us, I owe a debt to God I cannot pay. Jesus has paid that debt. I'm gonna, I'm gonna choose to believe that. How does choosing to believe that affect my life? So, choosing to believe that, you know, anytime you 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 read that term, uh, most times when you read that term, believe. To believe in Jesus is more than just believing, you know, uh, this coffee cup that I have in my hands right now is black. The coffee cup full of decaf? Right. <laughs> I believe that it's decaf coffee because they told me so, right? Um, <laughs> that is a good point. <laughs> but um, it's more than that. You know, uh, it's to trust in Jesus, to really commit. That There's a commitment behind it. There's a, a whole... You know, it's a trust thing. When you trust someone, you you're you're in, right? Um, and so, it's it's more than just uh, uh, you know the way we use the word believe sometimes. And if you don't believe, if you don't take that initial step, um, it just it won't work. It won't work. And I think the the effect of taking that initial step is that now that the the implications of that. See, you start to understand what that means because once you get to that point of, wait a minute, I, I have a problem, I have a sin problem, and this Jesus has paid the debt for me, well, what does that mean now, right? Um, and so, you know, I think that's when you start uh, seeing uh, the world through God's eyes. Mm-hmm. When you start looking at the world through a different lens and not your own lens that you have been used to seeing the world up to that point because you're concerned with pleasing God and not just pleasing exactly yeah. and now you you feel a sense of okay now I pay the the guy that paid the debt off to me mm-hmm. you know for me right I, I you know so it's, it's a sense this, of appreciation exactly yeah. exactly which I, which I think ultimately manifests itself at in we, where we grow to the point of of love Right. We truly love. It's one thing to if you paid off a debt of mine, I would appreciate it. That doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to love you. Right. There are other things involved, but it's sort of that initial step that we start to move toward truly becoming people that understand. Once we start to understand what Christ has done, and we start to move toward Him and toward God's will, yeah, we. we the, the realization, the understanding gets fuller over time. That's right. We see things from that different perspective you were talking about. And right. I think that's the end. The end result is we start to formulate love. Yeah. Uh, form, formulate 
and that's where we want to get to the point where loving Christ is what is motivating us. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so that this is the the beginning of that journey. You know, it's you know you take that step. You 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 have to uh, accept what he's done, and once you do that, then then you start questioning. Well, why did he pay my debt? Yeah. You know, and and so that'll you know uh, eventually snowball into that that deep love that that you feel for Christ. I think a part of this too is the idea of being released from guilt, mm. because as we understand not only what he's done, but how, how ho- hopeless and helpless we were without him paying our debt. Mm-hmm. We realize the magnitude of, the, of our sin, yeah. uh, and then that is lifted off of our shoulders. Right. Uh, and that's a hard, that's a struggle. You know, there's some things we let go of ease, more easily than others, especially if we have sin in our lives that, that the consequences are not going to go away, which sometimes happens. But to, to be able to suddenly go through life without feeling that, that weight because because we have chosen to believe that Christ has taken those that debt from us that's a powerful thing guilt guilt is very debilitating um, we make a lot of bad decisions sometimes when we when we're just when we feel so guilty I think uh, that's where suicide and some a lot of, a lot of things can happen that's an extreme example but uh, you just feel so bad of, of something you've done you can't function sometimes and yeah. to have that taken from us yeah uh, begins with this step, but you don't, you don't know until you take the plunge. That's you right. know, you don't get to experience or imagine what that's like until you say, "Well, I'm going to choose to believe this yeah. and move in that direction." Yeah, yeah, because at, at that point, if if you don't accept it, uh, that word "experience" is mm-hmm. is fundamental here. If you don't accept it, then you won't be able to experience it. If you don't accept it, then it just becomes another philosophy. It just becomes another, you know, another teaching, yeah. and that's it. You know, um, pick the one you like the best. Right, and right, don't worry about yeah. what might be true or untrue. Right. So, um, so back to this idea. He, he talks about this hole that we've gotten into. Mm. Um, what is that? What is he? What is the? He uses that specific term. What's he really talking about there? I think this is something that we we struggle with as human beings, right? Um, uh, we like to think of ourselves somewhat good, you know, and and so we only need a little tweaking, if anything, you know. I'm, I'm you know, I, I'm just a imperfect, you know. I'm imperfect here. I got a few flaws, but it's not that bad. I need a, um, I need a little tune-up. Yeah. You know. I'm not a car guy, but I understand those things are yes. good. Yes. So, yeah. yeah. Just you know, change the spark plugs here and there. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um. But. It's interesting how uh, Lewis makes the argument. He's like, you know, it's more than that. It's more than just a tune-up. Uh, and this is quoting him. He says, "We are rebels who must lay their down our arms." Mm-hmm. You know, so, we don't think we're anywhere near that bad. I know. <laughs> you know, it's like, what do you mean? I'm rebellion. I don't feel that way. Um, but yeah, we are. Right. It's funny because I was thinking about. The, the word progressive gets thrown around a lot out there in the world. It, gets, it has religious connotations, but there's a whole area of theology that talks about it, certainly in politics. Um, but to me, as I think about that, that label always makes me cringe a little bit mm-hmm. because on the one hand, we always say, well, we want to have, we want to have progress. Who would be against progress? But uh, 
there's a lot of ways you can define it. And a lot of times at the root of this idea of, of progressivism is that human beings are fixable. Mm. If we could just keep moving relentlessly forward, if we could just keep altering this or altering that, uh, taking the edges off of these things, getting people to think the right way about things, uh, if we can educate people, if we can legislate things, um, eventually those the bad things in us will be weeded out. Right. They'll be... Um, it's like uh, you worked in a foundry you, for a while. You, you take some... There's impurities in metal, right? right. You heat them in mm -hmm. part to get rid of the impurities. Exactly. That's sort of what progressivism yeah. teaches. And I, I just was thinking about an example that I had heard sometime in the last year, and the, all the COVID stuff and then the, the, uh, the racial issues that came up and the, the police, the, the, a lot of conversations about police brutality and things last year, and which is an interesting conversation. And I think there's room for a lot of, a lot of discussion about things we could do better there. But I remember, I remember one, of, one activist being interviewed. I don't even know. This was probably last May or June. Uh, it was a woman who was talking about this idea of defunding the police. And, and one of the points that she made was that um, she looked forward to the day in the not-too-distant future when we wouldn't need police anymore mm -hmm. because we would pr progress to the point where nobody would be committing crimes, nobody would even be thinking wrong things. She, and she truly believed that. I thought that that's progressivism in a nutshell and, and it's craziness because... Uh, because the Bible tells us we're fallen, and yeah. you look around and we realize that's true. Yeah, we are fallen people, which brings us back to that, you know, that idea that we are rebels. Yeah, well, it's interesting what you're saying. You know, we, it's interesting how we all have this desire of that utopia. Yeah, we all have that. We can desire. all imagine it. We can all imagine <laughs> it. We all want it. Yeah, you know, yeah, that would be wonderful a world that you wouldn't need to have yeah. police because everything is so no locks on your door, you Danny, know. no security cameras. Right, right. But the reality is the reality. You know, we do live in a fallen world, and it's a dystopia. And by our own efforts, we will never attain the utopia. Right. It just won't happen. Or even agree on right. what you know how, what utopia how is. How to get there, or what it is. Once you <laughs> yeah, seriously, yeah. we yeah. can't even agree on that stuff. Yeah. So really, this is this idea of us being rebels who need to lay down our arms is really the biblical idea of yeah. repentance. That's the that's the churchy word. Mm -hmm. We need to repent, um, and that's I think you mentioned about surrender. That's I think that's sort of the language that that he talks about it uh, that he talks about. And so to acknowledge that we're in this hole because we're on the wrong path, we should be sorry for that. That's that's the need for repentance. Yeah. So the problem there is that because we're fallen, we can we ever really fully truly surrender? <laughs> and he has a quote in there again, page forty-five of my book, where he says, "Only a bad person needs to repent, but only a good person can repent perfectly." Mm which is a problem. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, surrendering, I would say, is one of the core problems that we have. You know, we don't want to give up our own rights, rights that we think we have to begin with. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
but you know surrendering to give up of myself you know that's that's core that's that's the problem that's the, the most fundamental problem that we have now here's from that point he takes this discussion in an interesting direction and I'm not sure uh, it's it's not a it's not a direction I would have taken it but I, I appreciate the way that he approaches it he says really we have a deeper problem which is that we need God to help us surrender we need God to help us to submit we need God to help us die to ourself in a sense mm -hmm. but the problem is that because of God's nature God doesn't do those things God doesn't know how to do those things he's God so God doesn't surrender he doesn't submit he doesn't die to himself even though he's asking us to do that so what's the solution mm -hmm. and the solution is God becomes human Wow. Which, when you think about it in those terms, is kind of sends a little chill up your spine. Yeah. Uh, because now that God has become a human being, he he can surrender, he can suffer, he can die. All things God can't do, but God in human form can because he is human. Um, he can do it, here's the other key, he can do it perfectly mm -hmm. because he is still God. Right which no regular human being can do. Right. And so that, in essence, is how he pays our debt. Yeah. But and, doesn't that tell you something about God? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, think about that. You know, to go to that extent, first of all, he's God. He doesn't have to do any of that. Nope. You know, he calls the shots. Right. He, he's, he's the creator of the universe. And to take the initiative and have the desire to go through all of that, it's mind-blowing. And, you know, that's that that's, speaks to how he feels about us. Yeah. yeah. Because he had to get, he had to, and this is where it's so far, even trying to talk about this, is so far beyond our ability to know or understand how God feels, how God thinks, why God does things the way that he does, but to devise this solution. Um, you know, it's just not something any of us would have ever dreamed of. And so this is, you know, this is the biblical idea of atonement. That's the word that you find in, in text. And it really kind of describes uh, all of this that we're talking about. This is the idea of God becoming a human being and why it had to be that way. And sometimes we go, you know, why did it have to be this way? <laughs> why couldn't God have done this or why couldn't God have done that? Well, we accept on some level that God understands the problem and the solution a lot better than we do. Yeah. And this is what he deemed to be, you know, the best the best way to solve it. You know, yeah. arguably the only way. I, maybe there are other ways, but certainly this was the best way. Yeah, yeah. And it keeps his holiness. It keeps him just. Yeah. It keeps him. He's still you know, God. The God of love. He's still, you know. So he's all these things. It was nothing about God has changed. Not one iota. Right. Yeah. But how much it cost him? It's it's wild. So that, you know, we spent more time talking about chapter 4 than I thought we would necessarily, and yet when you realize he's really talking about the key ideas of repentance and atonement there, that's that really is at the heart of the gospel, and so mm -hmm. uh, definitely worthy of some, some time. Uh, chapter 5, the last chapter in book 2. Uh, and next, next week uh, when we start book 3, there's a lot more topics we'll be talking about. We'll probably be dealing more with individual chapters rather than books as a whole, but 
this is the idea in chapter 5 that because Christ has paid our debt, we receive new life. And so he talks about what um, he talks about under this heading how you know, Christ now comes to live in us. And again, that's very difficult to explain. But the result of this is we have good in us. And so by the power of God, there's good stuff in us. Um, and he has a quote in there on page 49 of my book. You're laughing at me every time I say that. But <laughs> where um, we don't think that God will love us now because we're good. We think God makes us good because he loves us, mm. which is an interesting way to to think about it. I think there is still that meritorious idea that runs through a lot of us as Christians that we have to try to be good because that's how we win God's favor. Mm. And God certainly wants us to try to be good, but we can't ever be good enough to win God's favor. Right. So... Um, huh. But God can help us to get to move in that direction. And so he talks about there, there being three, that we have this new well, life in him. Yeah, well, before we get to yeah, that, I, I'd like to make a comment on what you were just saying. You know, it's interesting, like, in our sinful nature, we we can't we can't please God. We just can't. You know, we're, we're too on our own. We're too selfish. We're too, you know, we're, we're too involved in ourselves, um, and, and, and nothing good comes from us. If, you know, all good things come from God. You know, He is good. He is the reason why we know what good is, right? Yeah. And so, um, you know, and, and I think that's, that's what Christ came to do. He came to be that second Adam. He came to be that new humanity and, and gave us His Spirit to then be able to do the good that he wants us to do, right? And you kind of read that in, in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 2, the Apostle Paul, he's he's talking about this as they're debating as I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, and he, he's, you know, and he comes down at, at the end of that chapter and he's talking about who knows the spirit except for that person itself, and, and we know Christ because he has given us the spirit and now we have the mind of Christ. Right. So these are, this is how we're able to have this mindset of wanting to please God and wanting to do for God. and But it's God that's working in us. It's not our own doing. It is the goodness of God working in us. It's the power of the Holy Spirit working in us. And that's why they're called fruits of the Spirit. Right. You know, um, and I think that's, that's a powerful thing. You know, that's where we begin to unlearn the things that I grew up learning about this world, my worldview. You know, and you start unlearning the, the wisdom of the world and start learning the wisdom of God, which is, in a sense, foolish to the world. Yeah. But but this is this is what God has come to do. And this is, you know, when we come to the kingdom, you're, you're giving this uh, series on the kingdom of God um, and what it means to be, uh, to have life in the kingdom. And what, that's a whole new way of life. That's a whole new way of doing things, and that's what God, by the power of His Holy Spirit, the same power that resurrected Christ, by that power, enables us to be able to carry these things out. Yeah, the whole idea in Romans talks about walking in the Spirit and right. uh, being transformed by the renewing of our minds, chapter 8, chapter 11, and that, that transformation that happens once the Spirit is within us, yeah. which I was I'm a little surprised he didn't talk about the spirit when he brought up the subject of new life here mm. um, but he 
I guess as a bit of a preview, I think probably in his thinking, this is a little too early as again, as he's addressing this audience of people just trying to figure out, do I want a part of Christianity? What can they grasp? I think a good chunk of book four, he does spend talking about uh, a little bit more what that means and the Trinity and how you've kind of figured that out. And so for us, we we jump right there because we already know how critical that is for our thinking Mm -hmm. and uh, how transformational and uh, what the Spirit, I I guess we don't really fully understand what the Spirit does or how, but... We know we we know what 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 shape we would be in without the spirit living yeah. within us. We know it's by God's power. <laughs> yes, exactly, and that yeah. is the supernatural power of God working in us. Yeah, is uh, a myster a wonderful and mysterious thing, and I yeah. think it plays out differently probably in in each of us. Yeah. But I think at the same time that kind of you know I, I I've I've seen this where you 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 feel like you have to by your own strength. Mm-hmm. You know, it kind of goes back to that quote that he mentioned. By your own strength, try to earn God's favor. Yeah. By your own strength, try to earn God's love. And it's, it's, it doesn't work like that. Well, this is sort of the, I'm going to use a word. I don't want anybody to get angry at it, but it's sort of the trap of obedience. Mm. Let me back up a second. I, I, what I mean by that is obedience, God wants us to obey. There's Absolutely. no question. That That's runs right. from yep. the beginning to over. the end. Yes. Um, and there's volumes we could say about obedience. But I do think, you know, I certainly was raised in an environment that had many good things about it, but there was definitely a message, not a very subtle message, I think, that ob- obedience was how you proved yourself to God. And mm-hmm. so how do we know that we're right with God? Well, I'm obedient. And when you really start to look at your life, you realize on your best day, you're not very obedient. Some days you're more obedient than others, but yeah. as soon as you recognize you're one step out of line, I'm no longer obedient, then you know you've got. it's got to be something else that's going to do this. Yeah. And so I do think that we there is a mindset sometimes in Christianity that says, I'm going to heaven because I'm obedient to God. Well, nobody is that obedient. Mm. So how to walk that line, there's like a, there's a lot of things that yeah. in Christianity where um, we, we, we talk like we're able to do more than we can. And so it comes back to that supernatural presence in us and yeah. enabling us to be more than we can ever be on our own. Yeah. And that's the whole thing with, uh, you know, surrendering. Yeah. You know, we have to surrender to God. You know, right there at that point, we're, we're basing ourselves on our own efforts on our own. I'm not surrendering anything. I'm trying to do it on my own. (laughs) But surrendering to God, then we are able to. Then we can experience that. Now he does, again, I think probably because of where he, the audience he's talking to and how he's trying to move this discussion along. It's worth, you know, following his thinking. Mm -hmm. He does talk about how there are some things that, as he puts it, they spread this new life into us. They help us to maintain this new life. Mm-hmm. Um, and he says, I'm, I'm not trying to tell you which one is more important than the others, but he talks about baptism, belief, and communion or the Lord's Supper. And he doesn't explain a lot what he's talking about, but I thought it would be interesting for us to talk about how how those three things help us to live out this new life, excuse me, this new life that he gives us. How do these things 
because I think he has chosen, not chosen, these are, there's no question these are significant. They're sort of easier to get our hands around than the indwelling of the Holy Spirit at this point. Right. So how do these things help us to live out our new life? Let's start with baptism. What is, how does baptism help us live out and maintain this new life that we receive in Christ? Well, I mean, baptism is, uh, when you read Romans 6, it's, it's a reenactment of mm-hmm. what has been done, you know, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And in a sense, what you're doing is you're burying your old self yeah. and being raised to new life, you know. To and, me, that's the most powerful single passage about, if, you want, if I wanted to explain to somebody new life, how you proceed from the old to the new, we would, I would always end up in Romans six at some point. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And and so and and then we understand that the power is not in the baptism itself. It's not yeah. in the waters itself. Correct. You know it. But what's going on there is so deep. You know, it, it's a divine thing that's going on there, and well, it all points to Christ. It really is a tangible. It, it's tangible. Yes. Um, sometimes it's. Some people minimize it because it's too tangible. It doesn't feel mm-hmm. spiritual enough. It feels like a work. Mm-hmm. But I think that's an important thing is this is a tangible, even though you only do it one time in theory, yeah. um, it's a tangible reminder of, of that reality, which is God takes your old life, your old debt, yeah. he buries it. He kills off your old sinful self. He brings you up. As, mm-hmm. as new life and it is that it's you can imagine it because you've experienced it yeah. you, you even though it's in water it's not in dirt you you understand you can remember that connection of I have just been raised up things are different now yeah and so even though it only happens one time it's still a regular reminder of, of that that moment where you pass from the old to the new absolutely absolutely what about what about belief belief? You know, it seems so basic to this, but how does belief, how would you say belief help us, helps us to live out and maintain this new life? I think that's a choice uh, to choose to believe. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's really a daily thing. I think that's, you know, every day I have to choose. And, and like I said earlier, you know, it's not just a belief of, you know, it's decaf, right? It's, it's to believe. I trust. It's really to say believe is to trust. Yeah. And um, and I have to do that every single day of my life. I'm glad you mentioned that because that re- it really is a daily choice, right? Baptism yeah. is a one-time thing. Setting aside the possibility of rebaptism, a whole other discussion, right, but right. generally a one-time thing. But belief, you're right. You really do have to get up every day and yeah. look in the mirror and say, Am I going to follow Christ today, or yeah. am I going to do something else? That's right. And uh, that it's not a one and done. It's no. not. It's not. A, it's not that kind of thing. And so, every day I have to decide: Am I going to still live like I believe God's promises? Am I going to still live like I believe God is still in my life and living right. in me? Am I going to? Am I going to still live my life like God's purposes are more important than my purposes, or am I going to do something else? Yeah. Yeah, and that's that whole, and, and that's all over uh, Jesus' teachings, you yeah. know, everything that he, you know, that's, that's what, that's the cost, right? Yeah. I mean, that's the daily, you know, denying yourself and, and choosing to follow Christ. That's key. 
And some days we do it better than others. No question. <laughs> and some days yeah. I don't think we would ever consciously look in the mirror and say, nope, I'm not going to be a Christian today. Right. But right. but some days we sort of do that practically. Right. We we go out in the world and we just sort of like, uh, I don't want to. This this over here is more attractive to me than yeah. God is yeah. in the moment. Right. And we all have mm-hmm. times like that. Lastly, um, he brings up communion, Lord's Supper, different terms we could use for it. How does this help us to maintain or live out this new life? What do you think about that? Well, you know, one of the things I think you mentioned in the book was about, I think you mentioned the Vietnam War and how we have the memorials that we have, you know, and we remember, mm-hmm. you know, and, and in part it's so that we'll never forget because we're human beings, we tend to forget things. Um, and this is, communion is, that's a reminder. That's, that's really, a, I mean, that's just fundamentally, that's a reminder of what has happened, it, it, uh, what Christ has done, what he continues to do in us, you know, and, and a reminder of, you know, what it costs God, you know, to, to save us. Um, and, and I think that's... Uh, that's essential. We we need to be continually reminded of this because it's easy to forget. It's easy to fall back in old ways and in old thought patterns and, you know, become the old self again. Yeah. You know, you can undo those things if you choose to. Um, but communion, uh, the Lord's Supper, it just, it reminds us, reminds us. It's interesting to me that baptism by design is a one-time thing and there's an element of trust there on many levels, but one of those is God saying, no, trust me, you already have new life. Yeah, You don't have to keep coming back right. 10, 12, you don't have to come back every week and get baptized. Right. You have new life, just believe it and move forward on that assumption, but you're so right, we still need to be reminded about the reality of the atonement, mm-hmm. the cost and all those things, because even with new life, we, you know, we, we're not as grateful as we should be. Yeah. And so this is that regular reminder of, uh, you know, God paid my debt. I, it's, I can't forget that. I can't say, oh, that was 20 years ago. It's just as relevant and just as significant to my life today right. as whatever that moment was that it happened. Yeah. And so we need that. And um, so the, the gratitude and the humility that comes from being reminded of the reality of our condition and what God did to solve it, I think is beautiful. I think it's beautiful, too, that... It's a tangible thing, uh-huh. you know, and that, and I noticed, um, it's funny, I'm trying to remember, I had, uh, there was a time before, pre-COVID, I had, I had been sick for a while and I was, um, I was, my throat was really bad and so there were a couple Sundays when I did not take the, the grape juice because it made my throat, when I was getting ready to go up and preach, it made my throat thick and it made me cough. Right. And I remember thinking how, you know, I only did it for a couple of weeks until thing, things were back to normal, but I, I missed that tangible, hmm. like I'm, I'm trying mentally to connect without that tangible thing. I had a much harder time connecting and remembering, and so there's something important about that tactile thing, that holding a piece of bread, drinking a cup as you were trying to remember what those, what those things represent. Yeah. It's, not a, it's not a symbolic thing. It's not a theoretical thing. It's, right. This is a... We have a real thing that helps us to yeah. focus on those things. Absolutely. And it's interesting, I think, how each one of these things that Lewis 
mentions baptism, belief, communion, all these things are core to Christianity, or they point to the core of Christianity, right. which is Jesus. Yes. You know, and so these none of these things can be done apart from Christ, which is the foundation of everything that we do. Well, and we, we do, even in Christ, we sometimes are tempted to do these things without right. really thinking about Christ. Right. So yeah. um, it's still possible somehow to, you know, to be baptized without, well, I'm just supposed to do this, right? Everybody gets baptized, so I'll just go get baptized. Right. Or, well, yeah, this is a ritual. We're going to take the Lord's Supper today. Right. And even sometimes, you know, one of my pet peeves is about the, when the Lord's Supper gets led and the people don't really... Whoever's leading it doesn't really encourage us to think about the death, burial, and the resurrection. They encourage me us to think about the Lord's Supper. Why we have the Lord's Supper? Like, no, we're supposed to think about what Jesus did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you can even you can even take the Lord's Supper and focus on other stuff. Yeah. That's not really yeah. what it's about. No, exactly. that's a whole. I could do a whole episode on pet peeves about that. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we should probably wind this down. I have no idea. Have this no is probably idea. another 20-minute podcast that's going to end up taking 45 because that's just kind of <laughs> become our move. But uh, he did he did close out this chapter with a couple of objections that are just worth mentioning as we wrap up uh, after he explains all this. He says um, two things he hears people say about this idea, um, about Jesus receiving new life from Christ, uh, the one objection is that it's unfair that only people who hear about Jesus, only people who are able to believe in him, can receive new life. That's just not fair. And so I thought it was interesting he makes a couple of points about that. The first one is, let's not assume that we know exactly what God is going to do to or for those people who never get to hear about Jesus. Yeah. Why is that an important? Why do you think that's an important thing to state there? I just don't know. I mean, there's things, and we got we have to be okay with that. I mean, there's things that we just don't know. You know, God is sovereign, right? Um, and so He gives us. I mean, there's things that we do know, you know, and and that we can, you know, confirm with the Word of God, you know. But there's other things that we just don't know, right? We have to be careful not to speak for God when we don't, when God hasn't spoken to that issue. So clearly, God says he wants everybody to know Jesus. So Mm -hmm. that's that's part of our mission. But to say, well, what's going to happen to somebody who never hears about Jesus? That's we've exceeded our mandate when we say, well, here's exactly what God is going to do. Right. So uh, but he did mention and I love this quote. He said, if you find yourself worrying about the people who are outside of new life, said the most illogical thing that you can do is to remain outside yourself. So mm-hmm. if you're saying, well, I can't become a Christian because I don't think it's fair that God is going to keep some people outside. If you're worried about people on the outside, don't be on the outside. Because mm-hmm. you are you have heard, you can make yeah. a decision. Uh, and then the, the last thing he brings up there is is people asking, you know, how come, how come, you know, Jesus sort of comes in a disguise? How come he comes as a man and he doesn't really make it as obvious as he could. The term he uses is why not why not openly just invade in force? Why not send God why doesn't God come down with his angels and just, you know, do all this stuff and kind of make show people how what's going on and what his nature is like. Uh, why doesn't he well that's the phrase he uses. Why doesn't why doesn't God just invade in force? And so how does he 
How does he respond to that? Well, uh, he he mentions in the book um, that he wants to give us a chance to to join freely into this kingdom, right? To choose Christ freely, um, and he's given us time to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's there's we're in that time now, you know. Um, he's given us time now to choose Christ. So he. It's that invasion is going to happen. That invasion is going to happen. It, it, Jesus is coming back. That's right. But when that happens, our time to choose will be done. Yeah, yeah, it'll be up. I, I think it's um, and I'd like to read uh, a little bit of C.S. Lewis here because wait, C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis. Yeah, Who's that's that? the guy that we're uh, talking about. Oh, the, the guy uh, who wrote you the know, book. Yeah, the, the one hey. that wrote the book. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um. So it, you know. To that, he, this is what he writes, and I thought it was really good, and I thought I'd read it to you guys. It says, when that happens, it is the end of the world. It says, when the author walks onto the stage, the play is over. God is going to invade, all right. But what is the good of saying you are on his side then, when you see the whole natural universe melting away like a dream and something else, something that never entered your head to conceive comes crashing in, something so beautiful to some of us, and so terrible to others that none of us will have any choice left. It will be too late then to choose your side. There is no use saying you choose to lie down when it has become impossible to stand up. That will not be the time for choosing. It will be the time when we discover which side we really have chosen, whether we realized it before or not. Now, today, this moment is our chance to choose the right side. God is holding back to give us that chance. It will not last forever. We must take it or leave it. And I thought that was just such a powerful, the way he words things, you know. Um, I think it was just so powerful and so true. Um, right, we're, right now, we're living in that time where God is calling us. He's drawing all people to himself, and he's calling us, and he's saying, choose. Choose Christ or not. And we're going to have to make a decision. And really, uh, that kind of chilling way that he has, God won't wait forever. Yeah. So yeah. probably a good place to to end this discussion unless you have something else you want no, to No, I'm good. That's the challenge. That's now the challenge. is the time to choose if yeah. you haven't already. God has been waiting. He's been patient. Yeah. I, I'm not a uh, coercion. I'm not a proponent of trying to scare people into making a decision, but that is the reality. Yeah. Um, we have time now. We don't know when that time will end, when God comes back. Time is up. Yeah. So um, we can't wait forever. That's right. Uh, and hopefully this podcast hasn't run forever. I hope not. I have no idea because we didn't set up a clock today, so we don't really know how long this has been. We'll find out. But mm-hmm. that's all for today. Next week we will begin book three, and we're going to go through selectively a couple of those chapters to talk about some interesting topics. And we appreciate everybody listening, whoever, whoever, whomever is listening. See. We appreciate it. That and means yes. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> well, it's good to have a bilingual guy in the room. So until next time, blessings. Blessings.